Welcome to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm here with my co-host, Darren. And on today's episode, we will be discussing Ozzy Osbourne's fourth studio album, The Ultimate Sin. Released on February 10th, 1986, the album would be the second and last to feature Jakey Lee on guitar and first for bass player Phil Susan and drummer Randy Castillo. Also listed as a guest musician, Michael Moran would play keyboards on the album. The album would be a big seller for Ozzy, eventually really reaching double platinum status, mostly on the strength of the single Shot in the Dark, along with its trendy for its time LA glam metal looking MTV video. But before recording for the album would begin, Ozzy would spend some time at the Betty Ford Clinic to get a handle on his substance abuse issues. Jake would write most of the music for the album alone in his apartment, but would also work with Bob Daisley and drummer Jimmy DeGrasso to demo out ideas which were passed on to Ozzy after his stint in rehab. As per previous albums, Bob Daisley would also write all the album's lyrics but would leave the band prior to the album's recording due to a disagreement with Ozzy. DeGrasso would also depart after the recording of the rough demos, thus opening the door to bassist Phil Susan and drummer Randy Castillo to join. Mixed by Ron Nevison, the production would not be to everyone's liking, lacking in certain frequencies and dating itself over time, causing the album to have not aged well for some parts of the fan base, with even Ozzy himself claiming the ultimate sin to be his least favorite solo album and lamenting the sonics of the record, often referring to the album as the ultimate din. But much like his fellow former bandmates Black Sabbath and their album Born Again, also an album marked by strange production, The Ultimate Sin would maintain a strong, loyal following of fans who remember with fond memories Ozzy's blue sparkly outfit in the Shot in the Dark video and many of the more memorable songs like Rock and Roll Rebel, the title track, and Killer of Giants. But what would an Ozzy album be without some controversy? This time in the recurring theme of Money Owed, in this case to Phil Susan, who along with Ozzy had a writing credit on the song Shot in the Dark. Shot in the Dark being a song from one of Phil's early bands called FM, that in itself leading to a dispute with a former FM bandmate who claimed to have been involved in the creation of the aforementioned song. Mix and questionable live wardrobe fashion notwithstanding, the album would bring Ozzy a bit closer to the glam metal scene that was erupting at the time in 1986. And to this day, the album always makes for interesting conversations amongst Ozzy fans. On a final historical note, on July 13, 1985, Ozzy would reunite for the first time with his former Black Sabbath bandmates for a three-song set at the momentous 1985 Live Aid concert, playing the songs Children of the Grave, Iron Man, and Paranoid. All right, Darren, what are your early memories and thoughts on Ozzy's The Ultimate Sin? Well, I just want to clarify uh, one thing you said in the intro. <clears throat> Phil Spasson was not in FM. He was in a band called Wildlife, which featured 
former free and bad company drummer Simon Kirk. Um, the band Wildlife released, I believe, one record, if I'm not mistaken. I know it was on Swan Song. Um, but the singer, the lead singer in the band Wildlife was Steve Overland, who later went on to form the band FM. The song Shot in the Dark was written by Phil Swasson and Steve Overland, but didn't make it on the album. It was a demo. So I suppose it was fair game since Phil was half of the writing team involved with that song. And when he joined Ozzy's band, because the song hadn't been committed to an album, he brought it into Ozzy and they used it on the ultimate sin. Years later, years later, I think like in 2012, FM. Uh, actually, no, it wasn't quite that long. FM did a EP and the song, or at least what Steve Overland, you can see what, what Steve Overland brought. He brought different lyrics. Uh, the melody line was pretty much the same, but there are some subtle variations. Um, so when he brought the song over into FM, he did the, the wildlife version of the song, which, I mean, when you hear it, you, you immediately recognize it as the song Shot in the Dark. That was on the ultimate sin, but there are some differences, the lyrics and some, like I said, some subtle differences in the, in the melodies, but that's the origin of that song. Uh, so my memory of this album was, and as we've been going further into the podcast, I've been mentioning how I was starting to pull away from, from this, this style of music a little bit and getting into some of the more extreme uh, forms of metal, Venom and Slayer and Metallica and, and, and stuff like that. And, and that's kind of where I was when this came out. Um, add in the fact that, that Shot in the Dark was the first single and it was really pretty timid to my years at the time. And, it, and I wasn't really, I, I was kind of turned off by that. But of course, I bought the album and I, and I listened to it and I liked it enough. Um, I wasn't very enthusiastic about it. Um, I can't say I was really disappointed because I didn't really have very high expectations for it because after Bark at the Moon, I had sort of started to kind of drift away from Ozzy a little bit um, and move into other areas of, of heavy metal music. And so when this came out, that's kind of where I was. Um, like I said, I did buy the album um, and it was okay. Uh, I, I, I appreciated the fact that there was a lot less keyboards of really any keyboards at all i mean there's keyboards credited on the album but there's a marked difference between the placement of keyboards on this album and in the way that the keyboards were placed on on bark at the moon so i was i appreciate that it was more of a guitar driven record <clears throat> um but to me it kind of lost that english edge um it moved further away from the black sabbath sound that i thought was a little bit a part of Ozzy's early solo records. There was still a little bit of that uh, gothic horror vibe. There was still a little bit of that occult edge to uh, the early Ozzy stuff that we're, we are now moving almost completely away from that and getting into like more of an LA sound, which of course only stands the reason since Jake wrote the majority of the album. He wrote all the music to, to the album. So 
Jake being from LA and, and playing in bands like Rat and Rough Cut, I mean, obviously that's that's gonna it's gonna be part of the music. And so that was kind of strange. You know, you had Ozzy's vocals, and of course, Ozzy, the former lead singer from Black Sabbath, and then later on coming out with those two stellar first albums, Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman. And then kind of missing the mark on Born Again, but then sort of coming back into the heavier rock sound of the ultimate sin. I, I did appreciate, but it was a little bit, it was a little bit late for me. Uh, I saw him twice on this tour. And the first time I saw him when Metallica opened, Metallica were touring for Master of Puppets. Um, and it was a similar situation for when I saw Metallica opening for Wasp the year before and that was to me like an epiphany i could i could see the tides turning i could see the old 80s sound and the new sound that was coming the more raw exciting heavy metal in the form of metallic at that time and and wasp in 1985 when wasp were you know all flash and showmanship and a lot of what was present in the heavy metal scene during the earlier part of the 80s, Metallica represented where things were moving towards, where, where things were getting into more of a raw or aggressive form of metal, which kid my age, 16 years old, that, that was really pretty exciting. And I was, I was really taken by that. So a year later, here I am, kind of in the same situation where I have Metallica opening for Ozzy, being a, an Ozzy fan for a long time up to this point, probably I mean, about eight years, I guess. So, I mean, my heart was still in Ozzy, I, Ozzy's music, but I was really excited. Probably, I'm sure I was more excited to see Metallica. I, Master of Puppets had only been out for a few months. I think Master of Puppets came out in March, if I'm not mistaken. And this concert at the Philadelphia Spectrum was in April. Uh, so Metallica came out and they just crushed it uh, on point, really into it, head in the game, sounded amazing. The crowd went nuts. I mean, I, I think it was well reported that the seats were ripped up and the, the, you know, the kids are trying to form a mosh pit in the Philadelphia spectrum. And it was it was mayhem. Mayhem ensued. But then Ozzy came out and he just looked exhausted his whole look was just diametrically opposed from what we had just seen and what had just kicked our asses we now were in this situation where we're looking at ozzy with glitter in his hair <clears throat> it's all teased up he's wearing a sequined muumu the rest of the band were dressed kind of accordingly jake had a pirate shirt on uh i think he had like a vest. The band was was all rock starred out. And that would have been so bad if, if the opening band were in the same situation. But you had Metallica. I mean, they're yeah, they're wearing like ripped up black jeans and sleeveless misfit shirts or Sam Haynes shirts or whatever. And like I said, it was just completely diametrically opposed to to what we had just witnessed with Metallica. So now here we are. I'm watching Ozzy, and I'm okay because, like I said, I mean, I've I've invested a lot of time in the Ozzy up until this point, and this was really where I was 
now at the kind of the crossroads. Like I wanted to see what Ozzy was going to bring to the show. I wanted to see what how Ozzy was going to make these songs sound better. Then we had Jake. Jake was on fire. I uh, didn't notice Phil Swasson. I guess that's how you say his name. Didn't really notice him too much. He was kind of like hanging off to the side. Not very demonstrative. Not not very uh, uh, seemingly enthusiastic. Uh, Randy Castillo was very enthusiastic. Uh, he was at one point in the show. He did a drum set. Where, uh, it was pretty rudimentary stuff, but it was all like a lot of stick twirling, a lot of walking around to the front banging the front of the drums, hitting the rims and all this stuff. And it was a lot of flash and, and that was cool. So points, points given for that. But Ozzy was just so, so bad. I, I, it, to this day, I still remember I was watching him. And there's the story uh, to go along with this, but I was in the third row. So I was that close to the stage. I, I, I get into the story about that in, in a couple of minutes, but so I'm, I'm, I'm three rows away from the front of the stage and I can see Ozzy playing flying high again and i think it was like in the middle towards the end of the set and ozzy forgets the words and he's he's stumbling and you i could see the expression on his face he's like he's getting frustrated and jake's over on the side of the stage and he's doing his thing and he can he turns over and he can turns around and he can see that ozzy has now missed his cue so he kind of shuffles over and you know kind of like tactfully whispers the lyrics into Ozzy's ear and then Ozzy like jumps back into it so that that was pretty bad that was pretty bad because at this point I mean Ozzy's been singing flying high again for <laughs> hundreds of times so he's obviously he's obviously out of it but the whole thing was just it really was kind of pathetic and so that was the end of that uh I went back in September when he came back around and he played with Queensryche, Queensryche were on tour for Rage for Order. And here's an example of, of two bands being uh, dressed similarly. So it wasn't as noticeable that Ozzy was in the, you know, the Moo Moo, the, the sequin Moo Moo, because Queensryche were pretty posed out as well. But musically, that was the Rage for Order is one of their best albums as far as I'm concerned. So anyway, they, they did a killer set, Queensryche. And uh, I got about one song into Ozzy and I, I turned to my friend. I said, let's get out of here. <laughs> it was like, okay. And so we left. And it was like, I remember it very well. I, we were walking around the outside of the Philadelphia Spectrum. And I said, Ozzy sucks. <laughs> and he did. At this point, in my mind, and in my experience, he sucked. I mean, he was... I. I mean, it could have been a lot of factors involved in that, just coming out of the Betty Ford Clinic. But I don't know. He just looked exhausted. He just looked tired. The look was not suitable. Um, he was overweight. He had makeup on. It was really obvious that somebody had taken Ozzy and said, look, what's happening right now is everything is exploding heavy metal is you know it's, it's on top of the world right now bands like quiet riot motley crew rat i don't think poison was around yet but you get the idea these bands were trending these bands were people were really giving a lot of attention to so somebody decided that they were going to turn Ozzy into, into a band like that. And, and, and man, it just didn't work <laughs> to, to me. It just, 
I, I wasn't into it. And so that that is pretty much my impression. When I think, when I listen to this album, when I hear a song on the radio, on the, on the, on the, the occasions when I actually do get an urge to listen to this, I can't get the memory of Ozzy on stage just looking exhausted and ridiculous. Now, and then he had this, this thing that came out. It was like this paper mache. I guess it was something that was sort of the like, representative of the monster on the album cover, which, which in and of itself is pretty ridiculous. It's like this dinosaur thing with bat wings and Ozzy's face with his, his quaffed hair <laughs> and, and a forked tongue. So he had this thing come out and it was like, like a paper mache uh, rep representation of that. And uh, it was just awful. It was just, it was just bad. It was like, it, it just seemed to, to me that now things, this is where things needed to change. Things were cool with, you know, the monsters that came out on stage and, and the props and, and, you know, and the rock and roll clothes and, and, and the spiked hair and the glitter and the makeup. And that was cool for a while, but here we are. And it's it's really because of Metallica at this point. Um, what Metallica did was basically just just crush that whole thing. That that's what you needed to do at that time to be heavy metal. Metallica showed everybody that really what you needed to do was was bring it with some sincerity and with aggressiveness and with some skill. And it was obviously really authentic so i mean yeah it, it was just like i i think the ultimate sin was pretty much for me in my experience the the death knell for for mainstream heavy metal at that time and uh, you know we're going to go through the album song by song and I, I listened to it not that long ago and there's things about it i like and there's a lot of things about it i don't like but um i don't reach for it very often and um yeah, so this is pretty much where I gave up on Ozzy, at least, at least for a couple more years. But I, I was, I was skeptical. Yeah, for me, I really liked Bark at the Moon. I mean, we just you know went over Bark at the Moon on the Bark at the Moon episode. So I was excited for the Ultimate Sin when I got it. I remember thinking that there was a lot more guitar on it. Than there was on Bark at the Moon. One of my things that I didn't like about Bark at the Moon was I felt like there should have been more guitar on it. There was too much keyboards. So there was a lot of guitar on this. Jake playing all kinds of little fills and runs and squeals in between the riffs and everything and a lot of great solos. I kind of felt like the production, it didn't have that atmosphere that I felt Bark at the Moon and, and Diary of, the, of a Madman had. It was, it was very kind of dry. And, and the, I remember thinking the guitar was a little, I didn't, the guitar tone was a little bright or something, you know, and as I've listened back to it, getting ready, getting ready for the podcast, that's the first thing that hits me is, is how, the, the guitar has a very sort of trebly, bright, uh, almost fizzy sound to it at times. So I was missing the 
like you mentioned, sort of that gothic in in sound, the occult themes and stuff like, you know, Mr. Crowley and Diary of a Madman and even a Bark at the Moon, Journey to the Center of Eternity and, and uh, uh, Waiting for Darkness and, and things like that. I, I wasn't hearing that on this album. Really, the, the, the only song that gave me that feeling was Killer of Giants. Uh, and we'll go through each each one of the songs. But that was really the only song that sort of felt like it could have been on one of the earlier Aussie records. Maybe the, the title track, The Ultimate Sin, maybe. But it was an Aussie album. I was into it. I did like it at the time. I liked that Jake was more upfront in the sound. But... I was into the hair metal stuff that was happening at that time, Rat, Dokken, all, all that stuff. So it kind of made Ozzy fit in, I guess, a little bit with, with that. And although he got a lot of spins on MTV with the Bark at the Moon video, and to a certain degree, got some plays with So Tired, Shot in the Dark was getting played constantly on MTV, and you were even hearing that on the radio so at the time i liked it but like but like you said it was the beginning the, the beginning of the end <laughs> shall we say i i wasn't quite as far into the to the more you were more in touch with the underground stuff that, that was that was happening at that bubbling in the underground so to speak but i was aware of metallica and i remember getting Master of Puppets and hearing Metallica and thinking to my Ride the Lightning and stuff and just thinking like, wow, this really like has a youthful energy to it. Whereas Ozzy's Ultimate Sin felt a little, I don't know, it was just, it was just sort of lacking in something. And it is an album that I can come back to over the years. And there are some, some, some things I can enjoy on it, but the mix hasn't aged well for me at all. Uh, I don't know if, boy, I tell you, getting ready for this, I I first listened to it on streaming, which I have app, Apple Music, and I don't know what version of The Ultimate Sin is on there, but when I first started listening to it, I, I thought that there was something wrong. I thought my headphones weren't plugged in all the way. That's what it sounded like, like it was just completely lacking in bass the frequency yeah. the yeah. instrument bass the frequency it was just like mm. way uh, uh top end and as a little interesting note the ultimate sin when ozzy and i'll see if i can uh look at the exact years here when uh when this album when the when ozzy's catalog was first reissued onto cd this album wasn't uh wasn't wasn't reissued it was uh in 2002 it was not it was not reissued when he went through and reissued all his old catalog so the only available cd version of this is the 1995 uh remastered version which is kind of strange and maybe some people speculate it had to do with the uh, legal dispute over shot in the dark and as you mentioned in the beginning of this extremely confusing with who you know not only is Phil Sassone having an argument over royalties with Ozzy and that then Phil Sassone his previous band 
you know, arguing over who who acts. So it's it's a song that's uh, mired in uh, <laughs> legalities and, and legal disputes from a whole bunch of uh, different angles. But I, I listened to it on vinyl just today for the first time in a long time, and the vinyl does sound better. It's not quite as uh, offensive as the CD version. I, I don't know what went wrong with the with the CD version, but even the vinyl, it 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 has kind of a yeah, it just doesn't have that that same sort of atmosphere that that the last three albums did. It was just it was just lacking in that. And and the song "Shot in the Dark" it sort of brought in. I remember there being people that at my school that were oh you know "Shot in the Dark" and you know yet they oh you like "Shot in the Dark" you know what do you, what do you think of "Blizzard of Oz"? Blizzard of what uh, you know. Yeah, you know, how about when Ozzy was with Black, you, Black Sabbath? He, he sang, you know, it was like this, it almost was like a pop song. It was like a pop hit for a little while. And that felt kind of unnerving. And in fact, my my very first, when, when I bought this, when it came out, I bought it on cassette. And when I started getting into vinyl, collecting vinyl again in, in the early 2000s, my first copy of The Ultimate Sin, the whole album sounds great until you get to shot in the dark at the very end. And oh, it, it is just a absolute mess because whoever had it before me, that's obviously the only song that they listened to on the yeah. record. And probably <laughs> their cheap record player just tore that song to shreds. I mean, you get to it and yeah. it's, this sounds like a staticky uh, mess. So I had to get another, another copy of it. And it's also kind of odd that, that song landed up as the last song on the record. It's considering, I'm sure they must have known that that was going to be the the single from the album. So the album doesn't even, you know, Ozzy, Ozzy Records, they all ended, had really cool last songs, Waiting for Darkness, Diary of a Madman, uh, uh, Steal Away the Night, Revelation Mother Earth, and to Steal Away the Night. You know, Ozzy's albums always had these big epic endings, and this doesn't doesn't end like that and so it's just it's an album that I have mixed emotions with as this young kid I was happy to have an Aussie record but hasn't aged particularly well there's there's this we'll get into with the songs there are some songs that I like on it but there's it was the beginning of the end for me and I would I would not uh I would buy uh No Rest for the Wicked when it came out but like you, I started to I started to drift away from from Ozzy a little bit here. Yeah, I, I I noticed the bass too. There's not a lot of bottom end, and and that's it's kind of what kills it a little bit. Um, In a drum sound, the drums are very boxy and yeah dry sounding, and Tet put down top of that the guitar sound, which is just it's a really bizarre guitar sound. Like it's really fizzy and and bright and right. harsh sounding like it just doesn't have any kind of uh you know warmth to it or, or anything no, just a mix mm -hmm. and, and Ozzy's performance on it and yeah again we'll get some some of the lyrics on on this on the album are are not Bob Daisley at his best uh and Ozzy's delivery on some of this too it just it just sounds like we mentioned that Ozzy just got out of rehab. This was a difficult time in Ozzy's life. Uh, I don't know. I should have looked this up, but you know, that incident where 
he almost killed Sharon. He almost strangled Sharon and she called the cops on him. You know, I don't remember exactly when that is, but this is a difficult period for Ozzy. He's in and out of rehab. He's struggling. And it just kind of feels like that on, on this record. It's a little lacking in direction. And, and Ozzy is very, his producers have a lot of effect on the sound of the Ozzy album. Some bands aren't like that. They just put out records and it doesn't really matter who the producer is, but Ozzy's producers are very important, you know, to, to the sound of his records. And they put a, a fingerprint on all of his, on all of his records. And so I think that this one, I, I'm not sure what else Max or uh, Ron Nevison had done, but uh, it just well, he, he was doing some of the, the LA type bands. Um, the whole thing about Ozzy was he was supported by an organization who was um, employed to make him sound good from the musicians to the producers, you know, to the people that were marketing him, the A&R people. I mean, he was pretty much manufactured, but the one thing that he, that he always had was he had a, he had a good sense of melody and I think he, he I, I know he has a unique voice and I think he sounds good on this album. I think his voice sounds good. I think his melodies, that's the thing that saves this album for me. I, I like, I appreciate the melodies. I don't like the lyrics. Like you said, you know, Bob Daisley, not some of his best work by any stretch. I mean, some of the lyrics are just cringy, stupid. Um, and that's unfortunate because the melodies and, and Nazi's voice sounds good. The things that kill it are, as I just mentioned, the lyrics, and you mentioned the two, the production, the it, it's way too, it, it, to me, it sounds a little bit brittle. It's um, it's not a good guitar tone. I, I appreciate Jake's playing. Um, I like his solos. I like some of the, the interesting little flourishes he, he brings to the, to the song, some, you know, some harmonics and things like that. And you can tell that he's, he's striving to to really make his mark or leave his mark on this album and i think he does and i think by and large the way this album is remembered and the way this album is thought of is is, is pretty highly regarded i mean people do really there's I, I i would say it's more more than a cult i think people I, generally people i think that are younger than we are that that weren't there when this album came out didn't experience you know the this album in its, yeah. in, in its historical context i think that you know you get into and you go back and you're you're going through ozzy stuff and kind of like what we did with black sabbath we just you know we went in and we just whatever album we saw we bought them all out of order whichever one and we all kind of had you know we had had the same attitude like we, we there was no discrimination there was no prejudice for any of the black sabbath albums we got into i think the younger generation when they got into ozzy you know they may have bought the Ultimate Sin might have been their first album. Mark of the Moon may have been their first album. And then Blizzard or Diaries, whatever. So they were all taken, not from the historical perspective, but as far as what the listener was, was getting from them at the time they discovered them. Um, and, but the production is very 80s. It, it's very brittle. It, it's, it, there's no warmth. It, it's a very little bottom end. And I, when I was listening to it recently, I, I, I made a mental note to mention the fact that I cannot hear Phil Swasson. I cannot hear his bass. I mean, 
I think it's there. I can kind of hear the frequency. I, you know, I, I, I can sort of separate it from the guitar if I try, but it, it certainly isn't anything like what Bob Daisley was doing on Blizzard and Diary. Yeah. You know, Bob Daisley, you hear his bass. I mean, it's, it's in a nice place in the mix where it's very audible. Um, it, there's not a lot of bottom end to Bob's playing, especially on Bargain or uh, Blizzard of Oz. It does get a little warmer. There's a better production quality on, on Diary. Um, and I'd say that's pretty much what I would say is like the quintessential Ozzy Osbourne production. Um, so, and it's curious to me why they didn't work with Max Norman again. I'm sure there's a, there's a lot of reasons and I, I didn't, I didn't research that. I didn't come across anything about why Max Norman wasn't involved, but Ron Nevinson was the guy. And, and I think it, I don't know if I mentioned this already, but I think at this particular point in time these producers were like rock stars themselves you know oh, they yeah. were like, they had a reputation to uphold and you know and they had these guys in their studio in fact I, I read something where ron nevinson wanted to fire or he was he was trying to get bill and randy fired from the band because he was having difficulty working with them <laughs> it's like who does that he's the producer uh but that that's where we were at this point in time yeah. the producer was these guys were like rock stars you know yet um and, and obviously he he shaped this album and he shaped it in a contemporary way i don't i think the things that the flaws that we're citing i don't think they're that much different from a lot of the other records that were coming out at the time by like rat and quiet riot i mean i don't think quiet riot is particularly has a particularly great production it's it's like fast food i mean the guitars there it's the loudest thing then drums and the vocals and you know you just are it's almost like disposable music it's it's has a very superficial sound to it i think it's not something that you want to like back in the 70s where you put your headphones on and you would just get immersed in the sound of the album with you know the tones and and the things in the background and, and, and the really uh, involved production quality of those records. This is more like the, the disposable music. And, and this album definitely represents that. Yeah, you have to sort of take this in the context of, his, of its time. And, oh, 1986, hair metal is for the LA glam scene and all that stuff is probably at the peak of its powers. It's all over, it's all over MTV. And I'm sure it was a decision to, to move Ozzy into this space. So they bring in a producer who I'm looking right now at some of the other albums that Ron Nevison had done around this time. He had worked with Jefferson Starship. He had worked with Survivor. He had worked with Heart. He had worked with, uh, Michael Schenker group on the MSG album. He had worked with Grace Slick. He would go on to work with Kiss on Crazy Nights in Chicago and Europe and Damn Yankees. So yeah, he's a guy that knew that sound and probably a guy like Max Norman was maybe not as in tune with that whole LA type of sound. Max Norman had maybe more of a British sound to his production. So it was obviously a conscious effort to move him into what was happening at that time. 
So you do have to kind of remember that this was what was popular at this time. A song like Shot in the Dark, I, that, that, could, that would have been a big hit for Dawkins. That would have been a huge hit for Rat. That would, Quiet Riot could have done that. You know what I mean? It was a song that it just fit right in. And it really made Ozzy cross over into people who maybe Diary of a Madman is a little too dark for them and the whole Ozzy and Black Sabbath, they never got into that, but they like, we're not going to take it. And uh, I want to rock and, and uh, you know, come on, feel the noise. Well, Shot in the Dark, it fits right in with that. And I'm sure there were tons of people that bought this record just because of Shot in the Dark as proof by my first vinyl copy of this. Yeah. You know, the chewed up version of Shot in the Dark on my first copy. So it does have to sort of be taken into some sort, a little bit of a historical context. Although I would still say, I, I think that the Rat albums out of the cellar and even the Quiet Riot, Metal Health, I think that those sound better than this. They're certainly not, you know, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon or Led Zeppelin <laughs> 4, but uh, this is just something here, much akin to uh, Born Again, where there's just something, something sonically happened here. And I would much take the cloudy, murky uh, Born Again, because it gives it at least some sort of atmosphere as opposed to this, which it just gives it sort of takes away the atmosphere. And where, where there's a ton of keyboards on Bark at the Moon, there's almost zero keyboards on this. It's very, very little keyboards on here and in some ways maybe if there was a little bit more keyboards it might have warmed it up or given it a little bit of atmosphere you hear little keyboards in killer of giants yeah here here and there and it adds to the to the atmosphere of the thing but this is this is just a lot of uh, a ton of guitar on it and and again jake jake is great but like you mentioned with you mentioned this when we were discussing Bark at the Moon, that Jake is kind of a very American sounding LA sounding guitar player. And I didn't really hear that on Bark at the Moon, but I hear that all over Ultimate Sin because he's, and at the time when I was younger, I liked the way he, when guitar players would put in a lot of little fills around the riffs, you know, all these little runs and harmonics and dive bombs and things like that. Because Randy did that a lot yeah but on this record it, it just it hasn't aged well for me when i listen to it they almost seem at times like comical like there's these little like wacky noises that just come flying out of the riff all you know the riffs chugging along and all of a sudden there's a wheel, wheel, like noise yeah like some sort of crazy guitar run thing it reminds me a little bit of like steve vi steve vi is an amazing guitar player but whenever he's in a, a hard rock or metal thing it's like he's always throwing in these crazy uh, sci-fi sounding guitar noises and fills and stuff that just sort of take away from the song and as i was revisiting this record i was just at times distracted by these constant like twiddly crazy guitar fills just sort of flying at you left and right as much as I like that kind of thing it was just a little bit 
too much at times and it dates it and makes the record sound, you know, it's a very 80s thing, you know, the guitar playing every, every three seconds, the guitar player has to fly away from the riff and do some crazy squeal thing on his, on his guitar. So. I think whenever anything deliberately tries to sound contemporary, it runs the risk of sounding dated in later years. And that, that's pretty much the case here. I, I think it was really striving to be something modern. And yeah. Because it was modern for its time, it definitely locks it in that era. And whereas the move that Ozzy makes with No More Tears, where it brings Ozzy into the 90s, was a very, that worked. This here, it, I mean, it worked in the sense that the album was a huge seller for him, but it it it, it, it hasn't aged well. He hasn't the look. The it just didn't, you know. At, at least for me, it hasn't aged well. There's some people, like we said, that that just absolutely love this album, and I think it's just like anything else. It's when you come in to the band, and if you're just of that certain age, that when the record came out, you know. Uh, it might have been your first Ozzy album or it might have just, just, you know, it hit you at just the right time or you're somebody who just likes that more melodic side. You don't like the more darker overtones that were on the first three records. You know, maybe this, this album, this album works for you. And again, Jake, Jake's an amazing guitar player. So he's, he has huge fans. And I remember the, if you see, they put out a, a VHS, uh, from this tour, the ultimate Ozzy, I believe it was called. And yeah, I have it. And they play a ton of songs. I even pulled it up here. They play a ton of songs from from this album. They play Shot in the Dark. Uh, they play Never Know Why, Killer of Giants, Thank God for the Bomb, Lightning Strikes, Secret Loser, and The Ultimate Sin. I mean, that's like practically the the entire record. Uh, I think that's everything except for the song Never, which to me is probably the best song on the album. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and the songs, I remember thinking like they, 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 they sound better in this, in the, in the live yeah. song. You know, they, they just, they just sounded better than they did on the. Because uh, the they're, they're taken out of that production context. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. But to clarify, I mean, we're talking about this album and I think we're both in agreement that it's, it's not, Obviously, it's not our favorite Ozzy record, but to clarify, this album was successful when it came out. I mean, it oh, was. Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah, it, it did really well. It, it might, I think at the time it was his highest charting album. Well, it went platinum in like eighty, not too long after it came out, and then I don't know, five years later or something like that, it went double platinum. But like mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier, the shot in the dark video was it was getting played as much on MTV as anything else at that time. I mean, it was getting constant rotation on MTV. I remember you can see these old pictures of on the sunset strip, the billboards with the ultimate sin. And I mean, Ozzy was just all over all the magazines. He was at this point, he had already bitten the head off the bat. He had already pissed on the Alamo. So he was, you know, he was, he was a legend of, of sorts, you know, everybody knew his name. He was, uh, yeah, this, this was, this was a huge selling record for him. And it was, a, st- I mean, his career, even though Blizzard of Oz would eventually go on to be his biggest selling record, you know, probably that and No More Tears. 
but at the time it did this was a step up for Ozzy as far as popularity and sales wise and everything and he was now at this point he was appearing on talk shows and and things like that and the whole MTV is in in full force here so yeah and it's in some ways it was kind of like a little bit of a crossover album again it brought him into these these people that were you know maybe the other stuff was a little too heavy and a little too dark for them but shot the song shot in the dark you know brought them into to the Aussie camp so it was a huge huge in fact you know at this time shot in the dark is I, I'm, it was his biggest it had to be his biggest selling single because he really wasn't a singles band before this. I mean, Bark at the Moon did pretty well, but Shot in the Dark, I remember hearing that just on my local pop rock radio station. Yeah, it was very radio friendly. I mean, there was everything about the song, the production quality, the, there was no edge to it at all. It, it kind of like, it, it, from, the, from the minute the song starts, it, from the second the song starts, it, 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 the first thing that meets your ear is a very timid, a very tame, very safe sound guitar tone, even with like the little harmonic thing that Jake's doing. It's just, it, it's very mainstream. It, it's very mainstream palatable. Um, and this is where, and I look at it from this perspective, this is where Ozzy went from the Prince of Darkness to the Queen of Glam. <laughs> yeah. This song pretty much exemplifies that transition because I don't think you could, this there's a lot of songs that i think on this album with a max norman production and a different treatment in production i think you could probably i mean jake's guitar playing aside but i mean specifically but the overall vibe the intensity the heaviness yeah. of the songs i think you could probably probably squeeze a couple of them on the first two albums yeah. shot in the dark you you can't it would stick out like a sore thumb it is just you could probably you could probably put it on Bark at the Moon because you had things like So Tired and Slow Down, which was like a, probably the entry level into where we would go or end up with some shot in the dark. But um, for a classic Ozzy, and I'm I'm looking at Blizzard and Diaries, what I consider classic Ozzy, I, I can't. Yeah, the shot in the dark is just it, it, it it's a marked decision in direction. And it was intentional, and I think that I think that whoever Ozzy's handlers are, whether they're Sharon or I, 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 I guess that Sharon is as good a suspect as anyone. It's always really made a always really strive to make him contemporary. That there was fear of Ozzy being a dinosaur or a relic of the '70s is never the case. Even when you go into the '90s and the early 2000s, when you're talking about like the you know, the Ozfest and everything else that whoever it was that was putting a Ozzy on course in his career always made sure that he was somebody that was contemporary or he could stand toe to toe with anybody else who was trending at the time. And I, that that's no easy task for a guy that's been around since the late sixties. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when things really started to change in the early two thousands, I mean, yeah he's but, always managed to stay relevant and although maybe this hasn't aged well like we've mentioned already at the time this worked <laughs> it sold a lot yeah, it, did. it was it was very successful so yeah. all right shall we jump into the songs here uh yeah let's do that 
the album opens with the title track, The Ultimate Sin. This is one of my favorites on the record. I have three, four songs that I really, really love, that I do really like on this record. This is one of them. I think it's because of the uh, Jake's main riff there at the beginning. It sounds like his guitar is tuned down. It sounds like something Zach would have done like around osmosis when Zach started tuning his guitar down. And so it's got a really heavy song, heavy sound to it, uh, sabotaged a little bit by the production, but it's a, it's a pretty heavy riff there. And, uh, I like the vibe of the song. I like the lyrics. Uh, it starts, it's, it was a good start for me. I don't really like that drum sound. But uh, the riff does it for me. Uh, I like Ozzy's uh, delivery on this. I think the lyrics are uh, are pretty cool. Overkill, enough is enough. There's nothing left of me to devour. I love at the end of the song when he says, I think it's on the very last one, it was the ultimate sin, like the way he says it. And then the way the song sort of builds and ends and it plays, Jake plays this like, major uplifting sounding chord right at the right it picks out the notes to this chord right at the end of the song which I, just, I think is really cool so this 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 is a this is a highlight for me this is a strong for me it's, it's a strong opener i really like it i have to kind of shuffle things around here because it, it's such a strange thing here going on with this album the songs are there's there's and one sequence that's on the back of the album cover and there's yeah. a different sequence that's on the inner sleeps like I actually have to take the, the record out and look at the record label in order to follow the, the exact sequence. But the ultimate sin, um, eh, it didn't blow me away. Uh, it was an intro to the album. I don't think I really had, there wasn't really enough for me to really form an opinion. I, I, the music was pretty pedestrian. Boom, 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 boom. Seems to be like the overall vibe of the song kind of has that plotting, you know, boom, 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 boom. Throughout the entire thing, very little variation. Um, the lyrics are good. Um, you know, it, it tells a story in a way um, that's pretty consistent with the whole Ozzy is the victim society, not understanding him. He can't fit in, um, you know, the pick, picked on person on the martyr, you know, I, so it's consistent with Ozzy's persona uh, to a, to a lesser degree, as far as on one hand, Ozzy being the maniacal madman. And on the other hand, he's the martyr that misunderstood you know rock and roll rebel so to speak right. so this, this kind of moves a little bit forward with that but uh yeah uh it's just sort of uh yeah really have an opinion a very strong opinion about the song i hear it on the radio from time to time and i'll usually change it when i hear it <laughs> <laughs> all right well, the, next, the next one uh secret loser this is one that i don't have a particularly strong opinion on i don't really like this chorus the way he loser i'm a secret loser loser yeah. <laughs> i'm a secret. <laughs> no. it's just kind of like i don't hard, know it's hard to rally behind that yeah I, I mean it's not a terrible song but it just uh the verses are kind of cool you know trapped in a lonely body i'm losing control that that's kind of cool but the chorus sort of lets me down in this i like the verses where the 
chords sort of hang out a little bit and Ozzy's singing there and has a little bit of atmosphere to it, but the chorus just feels silly or something for me. It just doesn't work. Yeah. So there's that. I, I agree with that. But I think it's, if it wasn't an Ozzy song, and I'm trying to think of who it would be better suited for, and I really don't know, but uh, it, it's a good song. I like the riff. Uh, Jake's playing is really good. I like the guitar solo. I think it's pretty cool. Um, Ozzy's voice sounds good. I don't like the lyrics. I, I don't. I really don't understand what. I really don't understand what they're about. Uh, again, it, it's it's not really a concept that I can rally behind. Uh, and I couldn't at the time. And at the time it came out, I was 17. And you would think that, you know, that all that sort of, I, I guess the lyrics are some sort of like alienation from society or secret loser. I don't know. But um, yeah, I couldn't relate to it at the time. And I, I certainly can't now. But the music of the song, I, I think is cool. And uh, it doesn't bother me. But again, I mean, here I'm still like second song in and I'm just kind of like, uh, it's just a lukewarm feeling about it. And, you know, that's where I was in 1986. And I'm still there. But, uh, yeah, so moving on. Never know why. Uh, I really like the main riff in this. Uh, I like the way the song starts with Jake doing that kind of, like, sound effect, feedback sound effect thing. When the main riff kicks in, it's a super cool riff. Love that. Uh, I really have trouble. And I remember even at the time, I do have a memory of this. When it gets to this line, the, uh, oh no, you'll never know why we rock, 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 we rock, rock. It's, uh, yeah. No, it just doesn't. Uh, no, I was... it's so awkward. And the lyrics in general, it's just so disappointing because I'm such a big fan of Bob's lyrics here, of Bob's lyrics in general. But this just whole like, uh, if we're offensive and pose a threat, you know, this whole like, oh, you don't understand this, you know, rock and we rock, it's yeah. rock and roll. And I mean, whereas Dio saying we rock, it comes from a totally different place. It totally works for Dio. This line and the way he keeps repeating it, we rock <laughs> like over and over again. It just sounds so uh, like, I don't know, you couldn't have come up with something better than that. <laughs> you know, with, listen, there's a line in here. I, I, I leave you cold and in disgust. Don't try to tame me, you'll eat my dust. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, and I just can't get past the weed that we rock thing. It's so corny. Uh, the way there's like echo on Ozzy's voice, rock, rock. It's, uh, oh, yeah. it's like, Twisted Sister or something. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to bring that up. It, it's very, it, it's like it's somebody sitting there and in the control booth and, you know, is basically mapping it out because they think they're a genius. And they're like, okay, well, what we really need to do is we need to bring, have you heard of the band Twisted Sister? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they had a really big hit with we're not going to take it. And then I want to rock. So kids can really get behind that concept of, of rock. They want to <laughs> rock. Kid, the kids want to rock. We rock. They rock. Let's rock. We all rock. We, let's rock. That, that, well, I, isn't that kind of like meaningless and, and trivial? No, it's really important. The kids of, of today, the youth of today, and you don't understand, but, but I do. 
the kids of today want to rock. So we have to make a song for them, even though there's been a few already, we have to make another song for them about rocking. And that's what this is. And it's meaningless. And the lyrics are pretty vapid, basically. And it's, you know, it's, I, I'm almost embarrassed for Bob Daisy because he's certainly capable of writing really thought provoking and interesting lyrics, if, if not yeah. on a, something brilliant, but, but thought provoking and, and interesting and creative. And Mr. Crowley was a creative and it was sort of like a, uh, anyway, I had the occult uh, edge to it, which was made it kind of exciting and, and you know, edgy, yeah. and, but it was interesting. You know, it, I mean, it certainly got me to get up and go through the, Funkin' Wagnall Encyclopedia and look up <laughs> Alistair Crowley, you know, <laughs> but. Yeah, and even when they sang about, like, if you go back to Bark at the Moon, you're no different to me, you know, it's, it, it's the same, a little bit of the same sentiment, like you're, you're casting me out, but it's just done in a much better way. And then just hear it, it just doesn't work. And yeah. But I will say, I love that main riff at the beginning. And I really like the guitar solo in it. The guitar solo like drops down into like sort of a darker minor key sounding thing. And it's a pretty cool solo from Jake. It's just, you know, and Bob mentions that although he did write the lyrics on this, there are some bits and pieces and lines here and there that are Aussies. So I would like to believe that maybe this whole we rock, we rock thing was something that, that Ozzy came up with just, just to fill some space. But Yeah, I, I guess. I, I definitely don't think it was sincere. I don't think it was a song that Ozzy was particularly uh, had a lot of uh, commitment to lyrically. But maybe, I don't know. I don't think Ozzy had much commitment to anything other than trying to keep his career happening and... and uh, you know, just keeping things moving along, hitting the stage and going through the cycles that he's been doing all of his life. I mean, that's pretty much what it is. It's release an album. Uh, people write it for you. You know, you figure out some melodies, which he's good at. And I think he probably likes doing that. And then um, the album gets written, records it, go on tour, stay on tour for like, what, six months or something like that. Get off tour, take a, take a short break and do the whole thing over again. I mean, that's that's really what, what Ozzy's about. Uh, he's never written any lyrics, so we really can't say where his head's at from a lyrical standpoint. So I think he just pretty much regurgitates what anybody writes down for him. I mean, he may have the final say as I don't like these or can you do better than that? But he doesn't he doesn't write the lyrics. Um, he did have a falling out with with, uh, with Bob Daisley and Bob Daisley quit. <laughs> And then Ozzy, and I, he done this, he's done this before. He did it on Bark the Moon, didn't he? Where they have a they have a, a fight and Bob leaves. And then one of them, either Ozzy or Sharon, calls him and says, hey, can, can we yeah. get together and meet? Because I think they understand <laughs> that. That poor guy, yes. Bob Daisley, he's got to be like, oh, yeah. my God. But it must pay well. I mean, to, to yeah. be able to like suck it up and and God only knows what's said in the course of these arguments or these, these, uh, you know, these, these fights that they have, but I'm sure it's not good. And then to call them back and say, Hey, Bob, uh, can, can we get together and talk this out over lunch? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but he couldn't come back because I think he was committed to black Sabbath at the time. And, uh, he's getting ready to do, or he's writing or he's playing on, uh, what would be the eternal idol. I believe. 
but it wasn't either he just didn't want to come back or he was already committed to something else. I thought it was Black Sabbath. Barry Moore, I think. Barry Moore, possibly. Barry Moore. Yeah, that would probably be something that was closer to the actual timeline. But he does agree to, to, to write the lyrics. And it's almost like he was kind of like the way that the lyrics are so, and we're, we're talking about how they're so like contrived and corny. It's almost like he did it as a, almost in a passive aggressive mood. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'll write you some lyrics. <laughs> you want yeah. lyrics? Oh, you want to How's this for a lyric? We oh, rock. We rock. We rock. We rock. <laughs> and repeat it 16 we times. Rock. We rock. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. You know, it's anybody's guess as to what was going on at the time. All but, right. Well, speaking of Bob's lyrics, this is a lyric that I really like on the record. Uh, Thank God for the bomb. I think it's sort of a clever little twist on the you know the bomb is there for destruction but if it's you know this you gotta again put this in historical context this is uh the era of everyone fearful of nuclear war and and stuff like that so this kind of thing is on everybody's mind but uh if it's the bombs that are stopping everybody from starting a war well then you know thank god for the bomb and uh, I think it's, uh, I like this lyric here at the end where uh, it is, today was tomorrow, yesterday. It's funny how time can slip away. The face of the doomsday clock has launched a thousand wars. As we near the final hour, time is the only foe we have. Now that to me is classic Bob Daisley right there you know today was tomorrow yeah. yesterday you know just that kind of yeah. like uh thoughtful thing there so so this works the verses are a little the melody and the verses are a little too uplifting for me but i think the chorus is is pretty cool and there is some i do think it's fun when ozzy does that nukia nukia i hate you know, that part. really yeah <laughs> i, I like it. when ozzy does those kind of funny no. like uh you know bodge you know when he does those funny yeah, that voices yeah yeah that I, that was cool or even like um you know when he does in uh uh i guess it's over the mountain i can see it i can see it you know yeah. those little ad libs i do not like nukia nukia because it, <laughs> it's like the song is of a, you know i mean lyrically it's it's kind of like it's it's a dire vibe for the lyrics you're talking about you know the threat of nuclear destruction like nukia nukia it it just is not consistent with i mean i guess it kind of but it marries well with the music of the song and and the melody like you said is sort of like it's kind of happy it's kind of uplifting so i guess a nukia nukia kind of fits in there but if you take it separate from the lyrics the lyrics are yeah it was funny about that and i was reading that ozzy would sometimes put put bob to task and say okay i want a song that that's called thank god for the bomb so he gave bob the task of writing a song that's called thank god for the bomb the title was ozzy but that's all he had and he told bob i want you to write a song called thank god for the bomb so the con i mean the fact that he was able to conceive something out of that and, and put this concept together like yeah thank god for the bomb but not in the way that you think not because it's capable of destruction but thank god for the bomb because it prohibits people from taking things to the level where we have to drop nuclear nuclear bombs yeah. you know, it, it, it's the fear aspect of of the destruction so the lyrics are cool song is uh it's another one of those uh there's things i like about it and there's just as many things i don't like about it and uh that's it for me 
Okay, next is never. Uh, would have been nice if maybe they could have come up with a more clever title, it can, especially considering two songs earlier, we had a song called Never Know Why. Know. So for them to just write never, that's kind of like maybe what you scratch down on the on the uh, tape box we, when you don't have a title for it yet, yeah, ju just write never, you know, that's how we'll remember it. So it's a little bit of a disappointing, underwhelming, not so exciting title, but it's a pretty cool song. This one I do like because I really like uh, the, I guess the chorus for this, you know, you searched your soul for feeling over and over now, over and over now. I think that that's yeah. pretty cool. And uh, I like the part in a song where Ozzy does that, oh God, you know, and there's like all this echo sort of on his voice. That's kind of a classic Ozzy move right there it does have some pretty cool guitar playing from jake it's a pretty unique yeah. kind of quirky little riff that fit this fast you know picking riff that that jake is doing in it so uh cool one if it had been produced in a different way it could have been even even better and uh my goodness why couldn't you have come up with a better title than this <laughs> than never <laughs> this is this is what I, I i can say that there's two songs in this album that i i genuinely like and this is one of them in fact we talked about this when we did a uh layer the alchemist video i think with our aussie deep cuts i this was my aussie deep cut from the ultimate sin never i, I think it stands out among the other songs because i i like the riff i think the riff has more of a minor sound in, in the tonality i think it it gets closer to the archetypal ozzy as established on the first three albums in fact i think this would probably sound it would probably be more at home on bark at the moon than it is on this album if it was on bark at the moon i think it would be the best song on bark at the moon from my vantage point um i think that it is one of two of the songs on this album that I would consider the best songs. I think the lyrics are good. Um, I do understand why the song is called Never. It, it, it makes sense. Uh, it's never too late to cry. It's never too late for goodbyes. It's never too late to cry. Uh, you know. Yeah, he says it a whole bunch of times. Yeah, in this I mean, song, it, but... it's there. And, and, and it, it does kind of have a, you know, it's, it, the song is kind of punctuated by the title never and I, and I get that and I think conceptually it, it works probably better than never know why they, if I was going to maybe make an alter title for one of the songs it would probably have to be the song never know why I would try to reach into the lyrics and oh you know what let's call that one we rock oh we can't because Dio already did <laughs> well looking at the lyrics I mean the majority of the body of of lyrics here for never know why are we rock 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 rock, rock. just call it rock <laughs> but anyway never yeah i like it I, I i think it's a good song and uh i would i haven't made in best of ozzy comp tape but if i did i would put this as a representative track from the ultimate sin i like jake's playing i like that cool little thing he does in the beginning it's uh it's interesting it's not something that i don't think anybody maybe it's like a Maybe it might be like a George Lynch kind of a thing, because sometimes yeah. most would do kind of That's creative kind of, kind, of like, yeah. kind of things. But yeah, in here it works for me. All these fast little runs that he's yeah. doing in that riff, and it's that descending little line, and he's throwing in all these crazy little runs. Yeah, so so points for that too. But it's, it's a good song. I like it. 
All right, next is lightning strikes. Uh, you know, this one for me always, it, if, it, the riff, the main riff in this to me is very similar to Rock and Roll Rebel. And uh, I guess it's okay. It's, the chorus in it is a little too, I don't like the way he sings the lightning strikes again. You know, it's a little too, melodic or something for me i don't know i like the main riff in it but i just can't help but get past that it feels so similar to uh it feels so similar to rock and roll rebel uh and even the lyrics are just kind of uh a little throwaway uh i don't know it's it's just it, and it has this like you know, this is, this is something that Ozzy is going to start doing more and more, like sort of talking about himself, like he's this rock and roll rebel. I'm, I'm crazy. You know, when you get that in here, I'm not apologizing. I am what I am. There yeah. is no compromising. I don't give a damn. You know, it's like, yeah. and, and just like, I won't stop rocking all night, rocking all night to, until the lightning strikes again. I mean, oh, that's like right up there with We Rock earlier it's, it's so like we're getting down to like you know twisted sister or kiss you know this is like this level of of lyrics here and it's just the way he sings it you know, won't stop rocking all night <laughs> right you know it's oh, yeah. it's so like <laughs> sing-songy and you know you it's oh it's just it's so uh that's funny crazy. yeah definitely but what's funny about it is that all the songs what how many songs are on here 10 10 songs, is that what it is? I think so. Um, I, think, I think so. Uh, um, nine, there's nine songs. Nine songs, okay, we have nine songs that have two concepts, lyrically. One is the threat of nuclear war. The yeah. other is rocking. <laughs> I mean, really, that's what it is. Yeah. It's, it's a recurring, there are two recurring themes. We have Killer of Giants, that's about you know nuclear war. We have Thank God for the Bomb, uh, the ultimate sin, you know, th those are songs about nuclear, whatever, an apocalypse, so you yeah. know, mankind, <laughs> and it all makes sense when you're in humanity to man. And then for the rest of the album, let's just put that aside and get to rocking. <laughs> Forget <laughs> about all this, apocalypse no between, stuff. you know, the it's only solution to all this stuff is to rock, yeah. But you know what? <laughs> we still rock. Lightning strikes. You know what? I I was prepared to say this song was was horrible, but I was just listening to it probably about an hour before we we set up here, set up our shop here to talk about the album, and I was really enjoying it. And I was like, you know, I, this sounds pretty cool. I like the riff. Uh, bum, 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 bum. It has a nice little, you know, it's got some actions moving. I like the energy. Uh, the lyrics are awful, but <laughs> you know, it, it. What are you gonna do? It's the theme of this record where there's parts of all these songs that I really like, but then there's just parts in them that I yes. really don't like. And that this is something that hasn't happened in, in an Ozzy album nah. before this. I mean, there were some songs that I just, okay, I don't care for this song or, 
actually there really wasn't, you know, maybe so tired, but even at the time when I first got Bark at the Moon, I did like, so there were just moments in these songs where it was confusing, where I was like, man, killer opening riff there. And, you know, uh, the, uh, uh, some of, some of the, the vibe, the melody line in the verse, but then you just get to these, these spots. And like, there's, there's, there's one thing that just, every time I hear this, it, it just, uh, it just kills me. Uh, Tell your mama yeah. that we're gonna be late, but not to worry. We'll just be rocking all night. <laughs> like, oh, I know. That is it's even so, as a kid, I was just like, oh, this is so like, how did this come from I the know. guy that was doing Mr. Crowley and Diary of a Madman and waiting for darkness or bark at the moon? And now we're just getting, we'll just be rocking all night. I mean, that's if you were to take that literally and, and, you know, I could see the situation where a, a young person is, is leaving and, and the parent is like, well, be careful. Who are you going to, where are you going? Who are you going to be with? Don't worry. We're going to be rocking all night. And the parents like, Oh, okay. All right. I, I'm just concerned, honey. I, I just want to make sure you're going to be safe. Don't you worry. We'll just, I'm just going to be rocking all night. I mean, it, it's like, in what reality would that even happen? It's just like, you have to almost take, you almost have to just take your brain out of your head or something. And like, you're thinking, <laughs> or you're compiling these lyrics. I mean, I don't, I, I think the general consensus for 80s pop metal lyrics, like with Quiet Riot and Twisted Sister and Rat, you know, to get the party aspect is right. always in the forefront. Of course, there's like, you know, the cringy, um, you know, the sexual innuendos, which, they, you know, they try to try to be clever, but they're just like so dumb. Uh, so you, I mean, you have that. So, I mean, that's your context. But this is even, this, would, this even sticks out from that. It's like, this would be, Kevin Dubrow would probably reject this lyric. Dee Snyder <laughs> would reject this lyric, at least at this, maybe not, because was, weren't they doing Love is for Suckers? And they had the song Hot Love. Yeah, I think so. Maybe possibly better. more cringy than this. So maybe Dee Snyder might think, ah, maybe Dee Snyder might try to steal that, steal this at this time. But I think for anybody else, this is below, below standard. But like I said, I mean, I was listening to it. You know, you kind of put your mind on idle. You don't think, you don't try to overthink it. You don't try to, you know, get too uh, analytical about it. You just sit back and you enjoy it. It's got a good riff. It's got a good energy. I, I like it. Um, you know, I, I guess it does what it's supposed to. And I, I think that's what it's intention. Yeah, and it fits, you know, if there's a song that maybe encapsulates this era of music and what metal was about it, it is stuff like this. Cool riff lyrics that you're not really supposed to pay any particular attention to uh throw in some cliches in there about rocking out or partying or how mom and dad don't understand you you know and yeah. there you go you've got a you've got a you've got a nice slick 80s yeah but with that i mean i keep coming back to it's like if that was the general tone for the entire album if somebody said well you know uh we just wanted to make an album that was fun. We just wanted to make an album that kids could not worry about things too much. You know, kids get caught up with like oh, all kinds of like hormonal things. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things going on in a, in a, in a kid's mind at, at this, at the age where this music is more or less targeted. 
we just want to kind of put them in a place where they don't really have to think too hard about anything, just have a little bit of fun. If that were the case, we wouldn't be getting into the paranoia that is present on song like Killer of Giants, The Ultimate Sin, and Thank God for the Bomb. You know, this is like putting kids are probably not really tuned into. I mean, I'm thinking back to 1986 and some of the political comings and goings at that time current events and stuff like that but i don't think kids are really wired into watching the news at any particular point um especially not with their parents i, I kind of remember you know this whole like nuclear what was that that made for that tv the day show? after the, the day, day after, after you know i think that was a little earlier like maybe 83 or 84 or something yeah. but this 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 was a thing you know this whole like cold war and 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 yeah. uh, people talking about nuclear bombs and stuff and but all right, so the next song, Killer of Giants. Now, it's all forgiven here for because of this song. This yeah. is, is a fantastic song. Uh, it just could have been on any of the three previous albums. Uh, Jake's guitar, picked guitar intro thing is just awesome. Mm. And when it drops down and he's playing the acoustic nylon string, like classical guitar thing, takes you right back to uh, Randy Rhodes there. And Ozzy sings that, if none of us believe in war, then can you tell me what the weapon's for? And you just hear all this emotion in Ozzy's yeah. voice. It's very mournful, classic, you know, Ozzy, that mournful Ozzy voice. The mm -hmm. lyrics here are super great. The giants sleeping, giants winning yeah. wars within their dreams. The song's got all kinds of changes to it. Uh, tempo changes. Uh, we mentioned uh, uh, that there's not a lot of keyboards on this record, but there are some string parts that you hear come in here that make it sound really epic. The whole uh, middle section there where it gets all sort of moody and there's all these changes with the guitar moving around uh, is, is really great. Uh, Killer of Giants, Threaten Us All, Mountains of Madness, Standing So Tall, Rising So Proudly, It Has Nowhere to Fall, This Killer of Giants, This Killer of Giants. I mean, fantastic lyrics, great song. It's, this has that element of moodiness and darkness and gothic overtone that I was missing on this record that harkens back to any of the three uh, previous previous albums. And man, if this had just had production like Diary of a Madman, it would be an epic song. And this, as a note, is the only song that, I mean, Ozzy played Shot in the Dark when Zach, Zach was in the band, but when Gus G was in the band, they actually brought this song back into the set list when Gus G was touring with them. And uh, Ozzy even mentions as much as he, sort of uh, dumps on uh, the, the ultimate din, as he refers to it. Uh, he does say The Killer of Giants is, a, is an excellent song and how he likes to have an epic song on all of his records. You know, No More Tears would be the epic there. Uh, Diary of a Madman, Waiting for Darkness, Revelation, Mother Earth. And this fits right in with those. So, so this is just a great, uh, just a fantastic song. Yeah, I'm not quite as... In, uh enthusiastic about it as you are but i do really like it I, I i agree that it could be uh maybe with a different production quality if max norman were behind the controls and dialing this in i think it could i think it could probably sit sit alongside the other songs on blizzard and maybe with a little bit of fine tuning it could probably 
find a home on Diary of a Madman, and as is, could probably go on Bark at the Moon. But it's a song that I, I think the, the, all the, the elements are there to make it a great song, but I think it just slightly misses the mark. That's probably mostly due to the production, or it could just be in its context. I think it is just, it's, it's an ambitious song and it does succeed. The playing is, is well executed. The song is well structured. The lyrics are good. Ozzy, like you said, his emotional delivery in the song is appropriate. So it really isn't anything that's wrong with the song. I, I think maybe some things with somebody who had a little bit more creative vision could have probably like tweaked it a little bit more. But as it is, I, I think it's really good. And compared to what it's surrounded by, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's kind of what makes it stand out so much is that it, it's, yeah. it's, surra it's surrounded by, by a lot of party songs. And here all of a sudden it's like, whoa, you know, the, the whole it shifts into, into a lower gear, I, I guess you could say. And it gets, let, let's bring it down. Let's get serious here for a minute. No, no. All right. All kidding aside, here we are. Let, we're going to do a real song for you now. And that, that's kind of what this is sort of, that's kind of the, the element that this represents on this album. It's like, okay, we'll, we've been stringing it along the whole time, but this is what we're really capable of. This is, this is Jake. This is how he, how, how well he can play. This is how versatile he is. This is Ozzy doing what he does best. He, he sings. He's not, he's not a, doesn't have a five octave range or anything, but he's very emotional. He can convincingly uh, emote these lyrics. If he's given the right lyrics, he could really own them. He does that here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there's there's nothing really that you can you can really criticize about the song. And this would be the <clears throat> like I, I mentioned. There's two songs. One is never Killer of Giants is the other one. These are the two takeaway songs for me off this album. These would be the two songs that would end up on my yeah. Ozzy compilation tape of the career retrospective Ozzy uh, compilation tape. Killer of Giants and Never from this album would represent the yeah. old. This would be my number one for sure. But I know what you mean about it's sort of slightly missing the mark. Like it, like for instance, I mentioned the keyboards and there's these little string lines that kind of come in, but they, there just could have been more. It, it could have elevated the song a little bit more, produced a little bit more, like with the, you know, adding some strings to build up some epicness to it. And the whole like middle section, it reminds me a little bit of Waiting for Darkness, where yeah. I was kind of like waiting for a guitar solo. Mm -hmm. And it's like Jake doesn't, he's yeah. just like kind of playing chords yeah. and moving around. It's like not really, you're waiting for this big epic guitar solo to just sort of come flying out at you and it kind of doesn't and considering the intro to the song is so cool yeah that thing and the whole like classical guitar thing is 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 really awesome it's a bit of a letdown in, in the middle there and again maybe that's maybe bob daisley had been there and been there in the studio with him you know bob daisley was involved in the production of those those other albums so maybe with just that little bit of extra input from bob daisley maybe if uh don airy was there or you know it would have he would have orchestrated it a little bit more to make it a little bit bigger max norman certainly would have given it a different production and a different flair it could have it could have gone from 
song that I really like into, you know, right up there with the other epic uh, Ozzy songs. And, and this should have been maybe the closer of the record too. You know, it sits in a... Yeah, that would have been a good place for it. That would have been yeah. a good sequence. Yeah, <clears throat> for sure. Because it does kind of uh, take the place or it kind of does have that representative place in the sequence typical of an Aussie record where you'd find Diary of a Madman, um, yeah. Waiting for Darkness, Steal Away the Night, Re Revelation Mother Earth, I mean, Steal Away the Night. Um, that's kind of like a coupling, but yeah, this would be a definite good album closer. And wasn't the album originally supposed to be titled Killer of Giants? I think that was, that was the original working so. title for the yeah. album. And then somewhere along the line, it got changed to the ultimate yeah. sin. Yeah. So they knew that this was the centerpiece yeah. of the album, you know, much right. like No More Tears or something. So, yeah. That's, yeah. So, yeah, you know, I mean, looking at it from the perspective of, of where this song succeeds and, and the quality of it, almost as though they should have started with this and just worked around it or worked out from that. Yeah, made this like, this is going to be the mood of the yeah. piece of the record, much like the way No More Tears is sort of like sets up Yeah, No More Tears album. Yeah, the, the other songs kind of support that. And when No More Tears comes in, it's like, okay, well, this is like, this is the climax of the album. This yeah. is a, this, the central theme. Yeah. So Killer of Giants could have been the central theme of the album. And there could have been some songs that you know, more or less like songs closer to wherever Killer of Giants would have ended up in the sequence. And I think we've agreed that it would probably be at the very end of the album. So the songs kind of starting out on in one emotional level and then gradually working towards this. I think that would have been that would have made it a pretty good uh, concept of sorts without really being you know, with a conceptual subject matter, but conceptually in the form of musical uh, progression. Yeah. I probably would have been a better thing to do rather than make a party record with, you know, this great song kind of stuck in the middle. But yeah, eh, what are you going to do? All right, next is Fool Like You. <clears throat> this is forgettable for me. It's, again, it's not a terrible song, but it's just... The verse is kind of cool, but uh, no, I don't know. It's just, it's a six out of 10. It's, it feels like a filler. I think it's so, yeah, I think it's okay. I don't think it's anything uh, too far removed from what we've already heard. So it's kind of like, it's like never know why or yeah, something exactly. like that revisited. Yeah. It's cool. It's very similar to that. Type yeah. Of it's not treading any new territory. There really isn't any reason for it to be there other than I guess to just kind of fill, fill the album out. Be that, uh, that ninth song or the, the eighth song for the nine songs in, in total could have just as easily been eight songs, depending on how you go from one side to the other, but um, not a bad song. It's just, I, we've already been there. So there's no point in yeah. where, where, it, where it lands on the album. Yeah. All right. So we move on to the last song on the record and the big hit from this album, Shot in the Dark. We've already kind of said a lot about this song, but it's very slick. It's very poppy. Uh, there's no denying that it's a catchy song. The chorus in the song is, is super catchy. Even the verses. I mean, it is. It's a very... Okay. 
it's not a bad song. It's, it's a very catchy melodic rock song. It's just that it's this, I mean, you, you could say so tired was very outside of the Ozzy Osbourne box at that time, but you could almost say so tired was almost done in like a I don't know it, that just this to me this to me is just it's so melodic it's so radio that it just does doesn't feel like an Ozzy song at all I accept so tired more than I do uh shot in the dark so tired at least you can maybe think it sounds like some old 1950s uh ballad song so it has this sort of throwback thing to it this just sounds like foreigner or you know something 86 foreigner something like that just but and again it's not a bad song it's a great pop song in fact getting ready for this I was you know looking around on YouTube and I saw I don't know who it was somebody some some pop group do do a cover of this and I was like yeah great great pop song great melodic uh rock song it's just not really what i want to hear from ozzy uh, it's uh, to me it, it sounds like someone else's song yeah that's the main thing it doesn't even blend in we've, we've talked about the various things that we you know we have we're in conflict over within the album this is just something that's completely all out of left field it's like when it when it gets and it, it's Putting it at the very end of the album only makes it stand out even more. It only makes it the sore thumb that it kind of is. It is a good song. And when you hear the FM version of it with Steve Overland's lyrics and his, his, he has a great voice, very AOR, very, you know, foreigner sounding. Um, so it works and it really complements the direction that this song moves in. Uh, with Ozzy doing it, it sounds like a cover and it sounds like he's singing someone else's song. Yeah. Even though the lyrics are different, they're lyrics that are more suitable to Ozzy's voice. And I guess what he can what what he can get across, the point that he can get across. But it it just doesn't it doesn't have any edge. There's no bite. It 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 just sounds like he's singing someone else's song. Um and that's always been the problem I have with it. It doesn't sound like an Ozzy song. I can hear Ozzy's voice, but you'd almost expect it like to be like a Russ Ballard song, you yeah. know, like like a Rainbow, you know, I Surrender, or Since You've Been Gone, uh, like Since You've Been Gone. But uh, you know, I don't know, you know, that type of thing. Like they went out and got an outside pop melodic rock songwriter, Desmond Child, or somebody to come in and write, you know, a, a song yeah. for them. You know, you're right. It, it just sounds like that. It just, it sounds like it's just really outside of the box. And in some ways it is. Phil's the song. We already talked about this, just, just crazy backstory to this particular song. It really is from outside of Ozzy's world. This is probably up to this point, there's the most outside type of song that, that that Ozzy has done. As his career would go on, he would bring in a lot of outside writers, but up to this point, I mean, granted, Phil Sassone's in the band, but again, this sort of backstory of way this song was basically written before it was 
brought to here. It's essentially, it, it almost is a cover, you know, and I know the lyrics are, Ozzy does do some different things with it, but in some ways it is almost like a cover song. It came from somewhere else and it, it, it totally doesn't seem to yeah. fit, you know? Everything that he does comes from somewhere else, but I think that in, I think it's written with Ozzy in mind. Yeah. This song was not written with Ozzy in yeah. mind. This song was written That's by Bill Swasson and uh, Steve Overland for their band Wildlife, and it was demoed, but it, it it didn't make it onto the album, so it was shelved. Bill joins Ozzy's band. Somebody probably said, you know, we really need a hit single light bulb goes on oh i've got this really good song well let's hear it brings a song yeah that's great give it to ozzy let him sing it then tweak the lyrics a little bit because he can't be singing all these words right still get all tangled up make it simple give it a simple punch make it tailor it a little bit more for ozzy and you'll have something and they did and it, it was the hit i mean i i can't honestly say in retrospect that I mean, I could say, you know, musically, it stands out. So looking at the album conceptually from a musical standpoint, would it sound better without the song? Yes. Should the album not have included the song? Well, no way, because it was the big hit. And it's still a big hit. It, it, it's certainly not anywhere. It, it doesn't even crack my top, top 30 Ozzy songs. But... It, it did, it, you know, it, it put this album in, in people's houses and it put them in, put this album in people's tape decks who normally probably would have just like turned their noses up at Ozzy, but they heard the song on the radio or they saw the video on MTV. They went out and bought the album. The album did, you know, it was really successful. So, I mean, what can you say? You know, this, you, this is the, uh, and this was the era of bands doing things like this this is no more words for you know extreme people hear that song and then they go buy the record uh to be with you you know mr big where you would have a song that re like this really melodic song or later on all the bands would do these ballads you know <laughs> and they were songs that weren't really like what the band was like but they yeah. were deliberately put there so they could get on radio yeah. so they could get unsuspecting moms to buy it for their kids for christmas and other people who weren't really into hard rock and heavy metal but oh that song shot in the yeah. dark so catchy and fun i'm gonna check out this ozzy osbourne character you know and then they get it and they're like what's all this stuff about rocking and nuclear bombs <laughs> yeah well i think i mentioned that in when we did our bark at the moon i said i think that there's definitely somebody decided that they wanted to make some songs that are a little bit more palatable for mainstream audiences. And of course we have uh, So Tired, uh, which, you know, and you pointed out that, well, it's not that far removed from Tonight or Goodbye to Romance, but yeah, but there's something about it that is just really mellow. There's something about it that is just much more mainstream I, I can't pinpoint or I, I can't tell you exactly what it is, but there's something about So Tired that's, that stands out from anything else in the Ozzy discography up to this point, which were only three albums deep. But um, So I, I, my observation on Bark at the Moon was like, somebody is saying, look, we got to get heavy metal. And at that, it, the irony is it, this is when Bark at the Moon came out, and I made this point too when we talked about it, that 
heavy metal was just starting to really take off. Here we are with the ultimate sin, and it is in the thick of heavy metal in its most popular yeah. period in history. You know, yeah. at the time that Bark the Moon came out, I think that the sentiment was to try to get away from that and try to make something that's more, a little bit more radio AOR friendly. Uh, I mean, kids aren't, you know, uh, heavy metal really isn't isn't making a lot of money. It, it, it you know, it's not really that. Yeah that in demand to get to try to tailor the sound, you know, make it a little yeah. more subdued. And I think there were a couple of songs that were indicative of that on Bark at the Moon, but lo and behold, you know, what a difference a few years makes. And, um, and they had the right guitar player for the job because the bands that were, you know, at the forefront of this new heavy metal resurgence were all from LA. And I mean, yeah. he had a guitar built in that was from that sunset strip, uh, Scene. school of school rock or whatever you want to call it so yeah all right well you know for me i think my final thoughts on this it's 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 a confusing album because there's things about it that i like there's riffs here and there that i really like there's some melodies here and there that i really like but then there's other there's lyrics and there's melody lines and there's there's riffs that i don't care for so it's sort of this record that it's just all over the place for me. And it's kind of fun to revisit it sometimes because Ozzy never really plays any of these songs live anymore. It's sort of this forgotten album in some ways in, in his catalog, at least by Ozzy. You know, we mentioned earlier that he never, it's only been reissued once on CD apparently. Uh, but again, it's, it's just has, it's uh, it's an album of mixed feelings for me and, and, Unfortunately, I think it more lands on the, the negative side. And it was as happy as I was to have a new Ozzy record. Like you said, this is only the fourth Ozzy solo record. At that time, it was, it was still a little bit of a disappointment. And it was me starting to back away from these things. The same way Sacred Heart felt like a slight letdown from Last in Line and Holy Diver, this album felt like a little bit of a letdown for me. And uh, so there you go, just mixed feelings all around for me on this, this album. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, like I said earlier, when we, when we first started, th this is where I jumped off. This is where I was like, okay. And to the point where I, I remember saying, Ozzy sucks, but it was justified. I mean, you know, you got Ozzy and you got, he's playing a, an arena of Philadelphia Spectrum and you forget the lyrics. You know, I mean, however hard you want to party, do it to it, but don't lose your place in the song, at least for that time that you're on stage for maybe an hour, probably 45 minutes, at least do that. It just, it was like, he just was sort of lost in himself and the album kind of sounds lost it sounds like it's the product of other people telling them what to do people putting songs in front of them telling them to sing it um, giving them ideas as far as what's trending the way you should dress the way the song should sound the way that it should be structured the lyrics it's all just it doesn't sound like an extension of what i would consider to be or what i was familiar with as an ozzy osbourne album you know, blizzard of oz it seemed like there was part of Ozzy's personality or, or what we thought or what was built up as the Ozzy Osbourne persona that we 
really latched onto and thought was really cool. Likewise, that continued on to the Diary of a Madman. Started to diminish for me anyway on Bark at the Moon, but there still was some of that element there. Here it's just like, to me, this is the complete dropping off point. Songs aren't bad, but as far as what I can classify or qualify as an Ozzy Osbourne record, it, it falls really short of the mark. Uh, so yeah, I, I was kind of done, but you know, uh, it, it's hard to break away completely. So when we get to the next album, whenever that is in our chronology, um, I, I think it, I was, I was pleasantly surprised at what, what developed in the time between the ultimate sin and what would be, uh, uh no rest for the wicked. But as far as this album goes, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> what was it for me? All right. Well, we'd like to thank everybody for listening and supporting the podcast. If you would like to uh, help support the podcast, we have a Kofi page. Kofi is a website where uh, you can make uh, donations in any amount you would like. Darren and I, we do this out of our love for Black Sabbath and everything Black Sabbath related, but we do have some expenses. So if you can help out in any way, it would be greatly appreciated. You can find us at uh, ko-fi.com slash into the void, a Black Sabbath podcast. That's all, no spaces there. And you just go there and you can make any donation you want. I'd like to, we'd like to thank uh, Cody, who gave us a very generous uh, donation after our last podcast episode. And if you can't get enough of me and Darren talking about Black Sabbath and Black Sabbath related things, head on over to YouTube and look up my YouTube channel, Layer of the Alchemist. Darren and I do a running series that we call Sabbath Sunday, where we tackle all kinds of sabbath related topics give you lists our favorites and least favorites of this that and and everything in between so uh, thanks again to everybody and we will see you at our next episode which is going to be dream evil which is the next album in our in our timeline here so we'll leave you with uh this parting thought remember that you can only trust yourself the 19 Black Sabbath studio albums and Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. <laughs>